good to see all of you here this morning. Um, good to see Ken Miller back. And just wanted to celebrate something with him. Let all of us celebrate something with him. He and Julie just celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary. So give him a round of applause. Jen and I can only hope to get there one day. So whenever Jen and I, though, decided that uh, we were going to get married and I decided that I wanted to marry her, finding the perfect ring for her became my passion. It really became something that I, I wanted to do for her, and it became my uh, passionate pursuit. I ended up searching throughout DFW. I looked at all these different jewelers, and I found the perfect one. The only problem was it was at Tiffany's. <laughs> Couldn't afford it. So what I did was I, I had them take a picture of the ring, took it, brought it back to a place here in Fort Worth, and I said, can you guys do this? And they said, well, I, we can't do it here, but maybe we can get somebody who can do it. So they ended up calling these people in Canada. So the, these, these makers of this ring in Canada said, well, we could try to do it, but we can't make that call. We would have to call the CEO, but the CEO is in China. So they had to end up calling China. Well, China ends up, the guy in China says, yeah, you can do that, go ahead. So he tells Canada they can do that. Canada calls Fort Worth. Fort Worth says, okay, great, Canada can do it. Canada does it, sends it to Fort Worth. I see it, it's perfect, love it. The only problem is it has to then be shipped to the Bronx. Uh, that's where it had to be shipped to one of my friends who then had to ship it back to me. Um, this was all two days before I had plane tickets because we were gonna, I was going to propose to her in, in Las Vegas. Nothing crazy or, or nothing weird, all right? But anyway, I had to get this ring back. And so it goes to the Bronx, then gets back to me two days before, and I'm frantic. I, I lived in the, the apartments right over here off of Hewlin. And I hid the ring under my, under my t-shirts. I wouldn't talk about it too loud on my phone because I didn't want anybody around me to hear that I had this ring in here. I was freaking out. I was so paranoid. I was so crazy at the time. I had lost my mind that I ended up backing into the carport and just creamed my back bumper. To this day, my bumper is still creamed. It is smashed. But finding Jen's ring became my passionate pursuit. And I, it ended up involving people in different countries, in different states, and it ended up leaving lasting consequences that are still in my life today with that bumper. Last week we talked about David was a man of passion and how his passionate pursuit of God led him to do passionate things for God led to passionate action, protective action. But today what I want to talk about is David and his passionate pursuit that got out of control. And when our passion gets out of control, it leads to inevitable consequences and prolonged sin. When we cannot control our passions, it is destructive for our own lives. That's why self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, we must be able to control our passions. And David was not a man who was able to control his passions. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, open your Bibles there with me now. 
Second Samuel chapter 11. Start with me in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And I just want to remind you, if you remember where we left last week, or we didn't leave off last week, but one thing we mentioned last week was that David was fighting Saul's battles. Remember, Saul was the tallest man in all of Israel, and then Goliath, the tallest man of the Philistines, comes out, and Saul won't go out and fight his own battles. And so David goes out for him. And because David goes out and fights Saul's battles, Saul ends up losing his throne. And the same thing is true here. David wasn't fighting his own battles. He sent Joab to go, sit, to go fight his battles. And as a consequence, David will lose his throne. And so the same thing is true from Saul to David. And the same question is applicable for you and I. Who's fighting your battles? Who's fighting your battles? Are you sitting back in places that you shouldn't be? That God is asking you to step up. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Uncontrolled passion. What I want to look at first is the pattern. The pattern of uncontrolled passion. It, it, it always has a pattern. The first step is that it begins with an impulse. It begins with an impulse. If you look at verse 2, it says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. It started with an impulse. I don't think David necessarily went out looking for beautiful women on his rooftop. But the way that the palace was set up, he could see down on all the rooftops. And so he inevitably ends up seeing something. Then it sparks an impulse in him. That's the first step of the pattern. This always has the same pattern. Uncontrolled passion begins with an impulse. My wife, Jennifer, is a pretty healthy eater, which means that we don't uh, have a whole lot of dessert in our house. And I have a sweet tooth. I like dessert. And the other day, uh, Doug Cecil took me to the Swiss uh, pastry shop over here off of Vickery. And man, they have some good sweet stuff there. It's some really good sweet stuff. And when I walked in, I saw all those sweet things behind the counter. And it was like heaven right in front of me behind that glass and I had an impulse I wanted one of the, I wanted something sweet and it came to a tipping point of where I could say I'm not going to eat it I'm not going to get anything or I'm going to get this cinnamon roll I love the cinnamon rolls there but it came to a tipping point 
And that's why the pattern, the next step in the pattern is it always leads to action. It always leads to action. Because guess what? I ended up getting a cinnamon roll. I couldn't help myself. Verses 3 and 4. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. Something that I want you to notice is that Bathsheba was obviously what? Married. She wasn't only married though. She was the daughter of Eliam. Now, do you know who Eliam was? We find out in 2 Samuel chapter 34 that Eliam was actually one of David's mighty men. So this was a guy who fought for David valiantly, his daughter. So David is, is, is taking advantage not only of a married woman, not only of this, this woman who is the daughter of a, his mighty man, but he's taking advantage of a woman who, who therefore had, had to be cleansed as well. I don't, I don't think this impulse came as just an instant thing that David saw and said, get up here, and she just came up there. She had to be cleansed from, uh, cleansed from her, basically, menstrual cycle. And so what had happened was there was a, in the Leviticus, you can read about the law, they had to set aside certain days, like seven days that they had to purify themselves. And I think David thought about it for a period of time. I don't know if it was seven days, two days, three days, whatnot. But there was a time where that impulse was sparked in him and David thought about it and he said, it's worth it. It's worth the risk. I'm going to take it and it's going to lead to action. Which reminds me of Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, if you want to turn there real fast, you can. But when we're talking about these, these sin of, of, of sexual nature, Proverbs 5, 15, it's, it's in the section that's talking about adultery. And it says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. You know, I think David... Let's say he was starved. I don't know. But he should have been drinking water from his own cistern. But because he wasn't drinking water from his own cistern, he started drinking from other people's cisterns. And I want to encourage all of you who are married and unmarried to drink from your own cisterns. And you can apply that to yourself. We shouldn't be going after other things. And if you notice running water from your own well. Some of you might say, man, the well is dry in my marriage. Well, you need to prime the pump. That's your responsibility. You need to prime the pump to make that running water. You don't have an excuse to go after somebody else's cistern. David didn't have an excuse either. The, the pattern of uncontrolled passion begins with an impulse, leads to action, and it always has a consequence. In verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Man, sin never gives us what we want, does it? It gives us what we want maybe for a second, but it always leaves us with something else that we don't want. There's a quote on your notes that uh, I love that... Doug Cecil told me last, last year, he, he actually says it on the Israel trip, 
uh, I can't remember exactly what spot, but he says this, you will never find in sin what you go into sin to find. You will never find in sin what you go into sin to find. You know, David thought he was going to get a good time and he ended up getting a baby. (laughs) He ended up getting a lot more than he bargained for. And it's the same way with us. We think we'll just get a little something, a little pleasure, a little this, a little that. But we always, our sin always leaves us with more than we bargained for. Always does. But uncontrolled passion has a pattern, but it also leads to prolonged sin. Because when we get more than we bargain for, we then try to handle it in the flesh. And we try to say, I can take care of this. I can do this. I can manage this. David tried to do the same thing. Look at verse 6. So David sent the word, after he found out she was pregnant, David sent this word to Joab, the commander of his army. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And then in verse 12, we find out then David, uh, so Uriah comes to David. David says, hey, he makes this small talk. Hey, how are the troops doing? How's life? How's the battlefield? Why don't you go home? And he doesn't go home. He doesn't, he doesn't sleep with his wife. That's what David wants. So obviously it looks like he um, was the father. But then we find out again in verse 12, since the first try didn't work, David tries it again. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants and he didn't go home. David tried to individually take things into his own hands and he tried to cover it up himself. Let me tell you, sin cannot be covered up by yourself. You will be found out. Our God is a God of truth. He will bring the truth into the light. He always does. He always has and he always will. David could not cover it up in his own strength no matter if he made somebody drunk. Do you see the progression though? One little sin leads to another one. He's, then he gets a man drunk and will then therefore see, those of you who know the story, that he ends up murdering Uriah. I mean, it's just a progression. Prolonged sin continues to grow and grow and grow. You cannot cover it up. The only way to get out of sin is forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, and we'll talk about that later. But David tried to cover it up And we inevitably do the same thing. But uncontrolled passion that leads to prolonged sin, it does that because, second, we inevitably get others involved. Look at verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. I'm just amazed that this guy took his own death sentence (laughs) to his commander, which is amazing to me. Shows Uriah's loyalty. And obviously, uh, Samuel is uh, pitting and, and, and juxtaposing David with Uriah here. David, the man who's been so faithful to God, so passionate to follow God and be obedient to him his entire life, now falls and he's not the one who is passionately obedient to God as a servant. But Uriah is. 
Uriah is the one who's passionately faithful and obedient to his king, David. David fails his king. Uriah is faithful to his king. And Uriah is murdered. And in uncontrolled passion that leads to prolonged sin, we often try to find a rational explanation. Look in verse 25. It says, David, after Uriah died, a messenger comes to David. He tells him, hey, here's everything that happened. And then in verse 25, David told that messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Go ahead, press on and attack the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. You know, I think we oftentimes try to rationalize our sin in a way to, you know, Cody, if you were just in my shoes, you, you would have done the same thing. Cody, if you knew the circumstances in my life, you know, you, you would understand. If you walked a mile in my shoes, you, you'd get it. And we try to rationalize our behavior the same way David says, people in battle get killed. You know, that, that, that happens. And our minds become, when, when, we, when we prolong our sin, our minds become so warped that we think we're actually doing the right thing. That we actually think things are okay. That we think life is, is about making us happy. And so we'll flirt with a woman we shouldn't flirt with. We'll entertain her affections and her feelings when we shouldn't. And we say, that's harmless. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's not going anywhere. Well, it is harmless. It is. And we can't rationalize sin. Sin is sin. It cannot be rationalized. But when we prolong it so long, our minds get twisted and distorted. And we begin to think that things are okay the same way David thought that things were okay as well. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, and some of you might have read it before. Um, but in this letter, or in this book, Screwtape Letters, De- uh, C.S. Lewis talks about, uh, kind of, it's a fiction story, but he characterizes these demons, and he, sa- and he talks about these demons, and he says, hey, here's how I want you to attack this person. Let them, put, put them in this situation, and then they'll come around and they'll sin. Do, do this, you know, tell them this lie and then they'll end up falling for it. Do this and you really get to see the behind the scenes in maybe the, maybe the mind of Satan and in the world of demons and in the, the spiritual realm that is against us. And what I want you to do during your, your table discussion right now, as we look at the, the pattern, as we discovered the pattern, it begins with an impulse, it leads to action and it has consequences. What is the pattern? What does that pattern look like in your life? If, if, the screw, if screw tape was, you know, that's the name of the demon. If screw tape was going to come after you and he said, I would go after Cody this way. Because I think if we actually thought about that, if we actually thought about when are we most tempted? When are we most tempted to fall? If we can see where that pattern begins, maybe we can cut it off at the knees. If we can see where it begins, maybe it'll keep us from the end. So what I want you to do during your table discussion, what do those patterns look like in your own life when your passion gets out of control? Is it when you're tired? Is it when you're out of town? 
Is it when you're depressed? What does that look like? What does that pattern look like? When this happens, I usually do this. Wow, maybe I need (laughs) to think about that beforehand. What does that passion look like? When and in what areas are you most tempted? And then how do you justify or hide your sin in your own life? And how does that affect others? David's sin affected many people. He made Joab murder Uriah. He makes the messenger. I mean, he gets so many people involved. You know, there is no secret sin. There is no such thing. Remember, our God is a God of truth and he brings truth. He brings those lies into the light because he wants them to be dealt with. And if there's things in your life that you think, man, that's only affecting me. You know, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody sees that. That's, that's only in my thoughts. That's only in my world. That's only in my heart. Yeah, your world, your heart, your mind affects you, but it also affects your family. It affects the family of God. It affects your countenance. It affects your coworkers. It affects everyone. There is no secret sin. If there's sin in your life now, it is affecting you and it's affecting everyone around you. I promise. So how do you justify or hide your sin in your own life? And how does that affect others? You got about 10 minutes. Well, I appreciate you guys sticking around. I know that's not the warmest and fuzziest thing you can talk about at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday morning. And and honestly, it's not anything we really probably want to talk about. Um, But it's true, it's relevant, it's biblical, and uh, it applies to our life. Um, I have a brother who's three and a half years younger than I am. He's four years behind me in school, or was four years behind me in school. And my brother and I grew up, like probably any of you who had brothers, we fought constantly. We fought all the time. And there was one particular time where we were fighting and I was about eight, I was probably about eight years old. My brother was five. And we were fighting and we just, we fought this one day and I don't know what happened but I mean it was just like WWF cage match we were in the house and it was just smackdown constantly we just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and I, I remember finally my mom grabbed my brother and she said stop stop fighting and I said no <laughs> being the older brother very rule oriented I said you know he deserves one more hit you know <laughs> So, you know, I was laying down the law for her and she held him and she, I said, he deserves one more hit. And she said, no, no, no. I said, no, he hit me last. He deserves one more. And da, 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 da. well, in, in this going back and forth and me trying to ra- rationalize with her, my brother turns and I see a slight glance of his arm. And my brother and I, I, we always had the unwritten rule to never hit in the face. I don't know why, but we just never hit in the face. So whenever I saw his arm turn, I said, here's my opportunity. I'm tired of rationalizing it, and I'm going to go for it. And I went to hit my brother, and my mom stuck her hand out to stop me from swinging. And I broke my mom's finger. I bawled like a baby. I cried. My mom was crying, and she's like, you broke my finger. And I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. 
and I was about eight, and I cried and cried and cried and cried, and I felt so bad. And I, I remember I, I was laying on my, my parents' bed, and I was laying there, and I remember thinking, I wish I could just turn back time. It wasn't worth one hit to break my mom's finger. <laughs> I wish I wouldn't done And I, I remember asking my mom, I said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Tell me to do something. What can I do to make it better? And there were, honestly, there was nothing I could do to take away the pain from her right then. I'd hurt her, and that was it. And I relate that back to what we're studying now because through this whole series, I want to wrap this up with Psalm chapter 51 because throughout this whole series, um, we have probably, I hope, hope, come to the realization that we're flawed people and we hurt God. We break his heart because of our sin. And in the end, I, I, at least myself, I say, God, I've hurt your feelings. I've hurt you. I've hurt your heart. I broke your heart. I want to do something. Tell me what to do. Tell me to run a marathon and I'll do it. I'll start running now. I want to make things right. I do. And David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, the man after God's own heart, he writes Psalm 51. And we see how this man after God's own heart gets back in step with God. He's flawed, yet he remains faithful. And I want to draw some principles out of Psalm 51 of how you can be flawed, but still remain faithful to God. Because God doesn't want you to run a marathon. There's nothing that you can do. And if I had to summarize it, it in chapters, uh, chapter 51, verse 16 and 17, it's, David says this, you do not delight in sacrifice. There's nothing that you can give me or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. There's nothing that you can give God. What God wants is for your repentance, your relationship with him. He wants you to understand him. And he wants you to understand yourself. Look at just a few things in Psalm 51. I just want to highlight a few things. First, the way that we can remain faithful, even though we're flawed, is to rely upon God's love. In verse 1, it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. We must rely upon God's unfailing love. Like I said, and I've told, I told you guys this last time, I'm a rule follower. So, and, and literally with my brother, you know, I saw it as payment. You know, my brother hit me last, therefore I should get to hit him. And honestly, that bleeds over into my own relationship with God, Literally. Because I say, okay, God, I messed up and I did this bad. What do I have to do good to get back in right standing with you? I, I broke your heart. What are you going to break of mine? And then we'll be even. That's how, that's how I see it oftentimes. That's my warped perspective. But that's not right. <laughs> that totally takes out grace out of the whole equation. And I have to rely upon God's unfailing love because during those times... All I hear God say is, just like he said to Paul when Paul asked him to take out his thorn in 2 Corinthians, uh, is it 12? 
And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. There's nothing that you can give. There's nothing that you can add. My grace is sufficient. I have to rely upon God's unfailing love. Not anything I can give, not anything I can do in return, not any good deed, nothing like that. I have to rely upon God's unfailing love. Second, to remain faithful even though we're flawed, we need to repent of our sin. In verse two, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You have to call sin, sin. We can't rationalize it. We can't explain it away. We can't say, well, they made me do it. That guy owed me money anyway. You should have seen how he was treating me. No, sin is sin. And sin is not trusting God. And when we don't trust God, that's sin. So it's kind of like the, the, the Judge Wapner. Do, 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 do. You know, he says, don't take the law into your own hands. You take them to court, you know. When, that's sin. When you, don't, when you take the law into your own hands and you don't take it to God, that's sin. Don't take it to Judge Wapner, though. Take it to God. Repent of your sin. You have to call sin, sin. Third, to remain faithful even though we're flawed, do not rebuke correction. Do not rebuke correction. Look at verse 6. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. We can't rebuke correction. We can't rebuke correction. In Hebrews, we find out that we are all children of God and God disciplines his children. God disciplines his children. And because he disciplines you, he says two things. You know that. One, you are loved. And two, you are a child of God. We shouldn't rebuke God's correction. He does it for his glory and our sake, our sanctification, our goodness. He does it for you. He does it for your own good. We can't rebuke that. You know, I love, I I can't remember where it was. I think it's in Chronicles, but I was reading about the end of David's life. And um, oftentimes back in those days, when a king was old and sick, they would get a young girl to come in and keep them warm, you know, body heat. And they did the same thing for David and they end up searching the land and they find this beautiful girl when David is old and frail and sick and they put this young girl into bed with him. And the text says, it makes it very clear, it says, and David did not sleep with her. David learned his lesson. And I love seeing that, that David finished well. He made a mistake, he was flawed, but he finished well. He was still faithful to God to the end. And I hope we do the same. Fourth, to be flawed even, or to be faithful even though we're flawed, rest in the Lord's cleansing. We have to rest in the Lord's cleansing. In verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop. That was the instrument that they used to sprinkle blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And because Jesus Christ paid the penalty, shed his blood, you are forgiven. There's nothing more you can add to his sacrifice. There's nothing more that you can add to his payment. We have to rest in the Lord's cleansing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. You have to rest in the Lord's cleansing. Fifth, realign your will to God's. Realign your will to God's. Creating, verse 10, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, give me a heart like yours. Help me to see things the way that you see them. And then give me the spirit to continue it. Give me the strength to sustain me, to follow through with that. Because probably, I'm just going to step out there and take a guess. What God is asking you to do when, when you're coming out of sin with sin in your own life, it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt your pride. It's going to hurt your ego. It does mine. And you are going to have to have God's sustaining spirit and strength to be able to fess up. It's going to take humility. It's going to take his strength. We're going to have to depend upon him, but realign your will to God's. And finally, relay what you have learned. Relay what you have learned. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. God has taken you through it so that you can teach somebody else. Hopefully when we read the Bible, we learn about the mistakes that people have made, such as David and Bathsheba. And we say, Great. Thanks, God, for giving us an example here. We can see a pattern of how David fell into this so we don't have to make the same mistake ourselves. Hopefully we see that. And I hope that you would share those things in your life as you're transparent with guys and you would say, hey, here's the mistakes that I made. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't make those same mistakes. I see you walking down this path. Don't go there. That's getting dangerous. Don't do it. Relay what you have learned. David saw himself as restored by God to therefore be able to relay that truth to others and say, hey, God God has restored me this way. He's forgiven me. There's forgiveness for you too and don't fall into that same trap. All right, your table discussion very quickly and don't leave because Ken has a few words to say to you. So just very quickly, I just want you to talk about this as we wrap up the series. As we wrap up the series, let me say this real, real fast. I want you to know and rest in God's love for you and in what Christ did on the cross for you so that you know that you can be faithful even though you're flawed. I'm flawed. But God still desires for us to remain faithful to him and you can. He's provided the means. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit He's paid it all on the cross for you. There's nothing you can add. He wants you to remain faithful and he's given you the means to do that. He desires it. He knows that you're flawed. That's why he sent his son. He knows that you're gonna mess up, but remain faithful to him. What are you gonna do or plan to do this summer in order to be faithful to God? You're not gonna be coming here every Wednesday. So what are you gonna do this summer? Let's, let's make this Monday morning practical. What are you going to do this summer to remain faithful to God? That you don't slip up, you don't, you don't fall. And I would encourage you around your tables to write these down. Keep each other accountable. In a month, invite one of the guys out to coffee and say, hey, how is that going? You told me you were going to be doing X, Y, and Z. 
you told me you, you didn't want to fall into ABC. How are you doing in that? Encourage one another in that. So what are you going to plan to do this summer in order to remain faithful to God? you got just a couple of minutes. If I could have your attention, we're going to wrap this up in uh, literally two ways. We're going to wrap up this morning, and we're going to wrap up the series, and then this, uh, this season of Mighty Men. Um, I just want to close this with kind of a challenge for, for each one of us. Uh, as Cody said, my wife and I got away for a few days and, and uh, got a chance to pray and read and, and really seek the Lord in a way I haven't been able to do in a long time. And really feel like the Lord is speaking to me personally. And as you guys, if you've been in Mighty Men very long, you know that if I hear from God, you're going to get to hear it. Um, that's just that's the way I'm wired. Uh, if he's going to convict me, you, you get it next. Um, this, this summer, uh, my goal uh, is to really pursue what does God want to do with the men of Christ Chapel? Not the men in this room. You're included, but not just the men in this room. Uh, what does God want to do with the men of Christ Chapel? The thousands of men who come every single Sunday uh, so that we might really make a difference in this world in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces. So I want to invite you to join me this summer in prayer. Uh, we're not going to come together. We're not going to meet. We're not going to drink coffee together. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are this summer, to really be praying, what does God want to do with the men of Christ Chapel? I told somebody a week or so ago, I'm, I'm tired of Bible studies. Uh, that sounds kind of sacrilegious for a pastor to say, but I'm really tired of Bible studies. I know more Bible than I've ever applied. I know more truth than I've ever done anything with. I'm tired of more Bible studies. I'm not telling you we're not going to have another Bible study because we are going to study the Word of God, but I want to see me and I want to see you apply what we already know. And let's start making a difference. I don't want to just keep meeting to meet. I don't want more knowledge because I got more than I know what to do with. Uh, and I've been convicted this week of not living what I say I believe. Not living what I say I believe. And I know right now God is working in my life in some uh, pretty incredible ways. Some that I don't like. Uh, that's kind of the way he works. But I'm excited to see where God's going to take this ministry. We're taking off for the summer, but we're not. My challenge to you is, what are you going to do this summer? Just like Cody just asked you to discuss, what are you going to do? My challenge is, find another man, have a Bible study, have a Bible study in your home, read the quest together, talk about scripture together, challenge one another. This is not time off from school. This is your time to really take what you've learned and apply it. And if there's any way I can help make that happen, give you Bible studies, give you suggestions, I will do it. But I want to encourage you to really live out what you learned through this series. You are indeed flawed. Be proud of it. Be proud of being flawed because if you weren't, you wouldn't need a savior. If you weren't a crack pot, you wouldn't need God you'd be God. You are not God. You are so flawed. I am so flawed. I got more cracks than I can even see. 
but I am so glad because it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. You are flawed. Relish it. Live in it. Celebrate it because you have within you the treasure of the gospel, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. You know, one verse that jumped out at me, and I'll close with this. I'm just reading this this uh, last few days. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. You know, I've never seen that verse before. He died for all, so that they who live, you and I, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You are not to live for you anymore. You're to live for him, and you're to live for the men sitting around those tables. That's what you need to do this summer, is live out your life for him this summer. Find some place to minister. Find some other guy to pour your life into and let's grow together. And this fall, I'm, I'm excited. I don't have a clue right now what God's going to do. But I'm excited because he's going to do it. And I'm going to do my best to get out of the way and let him do it. And I invite you to prepare yourself for what he's going to do. Because he's going to use you to make it happen. Would you close in prayer with me? Father, I thank you so much for these men. I thank you for the fact that every single guy sitting in these tables right now is flawed to the core. And Father, we are men who sin so easily and so rapidly. And yet we have within us the treasure of the gospel, Jesus Christ, in the form of his Holy Spirit. And we stand before you as righteous and holy because of him. And that, Father, you use us in spite of us. And you accomplish great things with us, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. Father, there's not a man in this room who's done anything that invalidates him for service. There's not a man in this room who is not worthy to be a priest in your kingdom and a minister of the gospel and a shepherd to those around him. Father, take me, take every man in this room and would you please, I I beg of you, Father, help us to apply what we've learned. Let us go back over these stories, over these lessons and make sure we get it And we apply it before we go and try to learn something else. Father, we're looking for a quick fix and there is no quick fix. This is about obedience and applying the word of God to everyday life. And living for you instead of for me. May we die to ourselves. You saved us to live for you, not for us. Father, use us in a mighty way. Even in our flawedness, may we be faithful to you to allow you to transform us into the likeness of your son. And I pray this in his holy, holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Guys, we will keep you posted about the fall. But uh, again, get together with some other guys and study the word together this summer.